HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Judy. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. It's been a while. Yeah, don't I look skinnier? <laughs> Stomach flu will do that. Oh, man. Um, I told everybody you're on assignment in Bahrain. Yeah. <laughs> on, a, on assignment in my bathroom. I like to pretend this is 60 minutes. Wires <laughs> on assignment. Good to see you back. You look fantastic. Thank you. And it's your time of year. It's the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas time. Nobody time. loves Christmas more than Judy McGuire. I might not get a tree this year, though. What are you talking about? Yeah, I know. Where are you going to hang those beautiful motorhead Christmas ornaments that I got you? I know. I, I have I have more Christmas ornaments than like large families have, but <laughs> I think this year might be the one year I don't get a Christmas tree. We're not there yet, though. It's Jew, not for sure. Jew that I am, I have to say, I don't really get it. And today I was walking down the street on the way to the uh, train to come here and walking by one of the big you know, Christmas tree you know, sales guys. Um, you know, the million trees out. It smells wonderful, but it's all bad to have all those trees cut down. They're is that farmed. wrong? Is that a Jew? Is that a Jew thing? It's like what, I mean, the I, Jew thing is when you bargain them. <laughs> no, the fa- they're farm. They're 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 bred to be cut down. So you're honoring them by cutting them down. You're honoring them by lighting them up and cutting <laughs> them down and making your house smell good for two weeks. I'm so excited about our guest today. I know you have been very, very... Um, Adamant. Eff- eff- effusive was the word I was going to use. But um, no, I know how much you love this book and love this author, so why don't you uh, introduce her? It's Cheryl Tippins is here. Welcome, Cheryl. Hi, Judy. Hi, Mike. <laughs> and she's the author of Inside the Dream Palace, The Life and Times of New York's Legendary Chelsea Hotel. 
Yeah, I'm really excited to be here, too, because I can't imagine a better place to be talking about the Chelsea than right here. In Bushwick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the new Chelsea. The new well, Chelsea. I, I love it earlier when we were, we were talking about drinking cheese. I've had a crush on the Chelsea Hotel. And I, I love that you have a crush on a building. I have crushes on several buildings. The Chelsea, the Apthorpe, uh, the Normandy on Riverside Drive, mm-hmm. London Terrace, where you guys live now. Bob Mikoy, my agent, is also here, who happens to be Cheryl's husband. Hi, Bob. Inside King. Not that that's why I'm here. No. <laughs> we're we're going to be talking about Judy's career a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot to say about that. Um, so your first, well, not your first book, the, your first biography of a building was mm-hmm. February House, which was turned into a musical. You guys lived in Brooklyn Heights now, when you wrote that, and mm. now you're living in Chelsea. I know. It, it's <laughs> disgusting. And yeah, it looks like the New York Public Library is going to be next, so I'll just move uptown a little bit. Oh, really? Maybe. Oh, oh I can't. Because there's a building I have a crush on, the New York Public Library. Yeah. And the people there have been so nice to me over the years with research on my books. I'm actually technically a writer in residence at the New York Public Library in Allen Room. Oh, in the Allen Scotland. Room. Yeah. Oh, very yeah, cool. They were very, very nice to me. I yes. love the New York Public Library yes. like nowhere else. And, yeah. you know, patience and fortitude. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, I'll, yeah, I want my ashes scattered there. But you have to do it surreptitiously. It's not allowed. They don't let people do it because a lot of people want that to <laughs> sure. but, but you know sprinkled in particular books in the, between the pages oh in the oh, books not just on the ground no that's no. very subversive yeah well they're selling the public library right I mean basically they're well, making it a lot they're turning it into a loaning library and moving the research stacks to, to New Jersey oh, I believe Lord. I believe Horrible. it's across the river yeah so that's the issue you know what what's a library is it a, still a library if there are no stacks I love going to the library when I do research there in one of the big reading rooms and when I open up my message your bag and the Velcro, and it just echoes. It's so loud. Yes. And it's like and everybody sort of stops what they're doing, you know? And I haven't really broken any rules, but I kind of am. I'm kind of taking secret pleasure in this. And, and so many people I've written about, you know, have spent, have, have gone to that main reading room and mm-hmm. spent so many hours of their lives in that reading room. So when I walk in, you know, I feel like I could see, you know, the, the memories of W.H. Auden and of Harry Smith and of all the, and Bob Dylan, all these people who got their educations there. I mean, this this book is so incredible. What struck me after being finished reading it, I mean, I knew what everyone knows about the Chelsea. It's a beautiful building. Sid Vicious may or may not have killed Nancy Sponge in there. Lots of people, you know, Arthur Miller, I mean, not Arthur Miller didn't get a blowjob from Janis Joplin. Leonard <laughs> Cohen got a blowjob from Janis Joplin there. Who but, didn't get a blowjob from Janis Joplin there? <laughs> but but I mean, stand still for- <laughs> it's so, it's so dense like it i feel like it could have been the encyclopedia britannica sized by year yes and why why was it like that that was the mystery that was what hooked me uh, to write the book why do you think it was because we it was it was it was like this little seed of subversiveness lodged in the heart of this cap, uber capitalist city this completely capitalist city and it and and, and it and it was designed by a, a proto-socialist to to harbor people of like mind. And it was physically, the architecture was designed to keep a conversation going among people and to stimulate our, you know, creative activity and to have a complete diversity of types of people, which was anathema to the sort of more capitalist um, you know, um, system outside the hotel. So can, it's always attracted people that way. Can you talk a little bit about the architecture? I found it fascinating, like the big apartments at one end of the hall and like mm-hmm. like blending different classes. And Because it was, uh, the, the Chelsea was built during the Gilded Age, um, which was almost identical to the current age. Yeah, <laughs> except so, for less pretty now. Yeah. 
<laughs> less the hats are not as nice. No. So that um, so, so you know there were the classes were very separated. Um, the the wealthy people were just kind of moving in and out of town. They had you know eighteen houses. Two New Yorks. Yes, yes, there were two New Yorks. So um, so this guy wanted to bring everybody together. This uh, the architect's name was Philip Hubert, and he was a refugee from the revolution in France of eighteen forty eight. They'd been his his group of utopians had been exiled, and he wanted to create this sort of uh, uh, community where a cultural conversation could take place. And he put it in what was in the theater district uh, on 23rd Street in New York. And what he did was, how, how do you make people talk to each other? How do you make rich people talk to working class people? They don't want to. It, it threatens their sense of who they are, their status, right? Their standing uh, to, to communicate, to be friends with each other. So he forced them to be together by making this really great, sort of resort hotel type cooperative where everybody was partners the people who built the hotel lived in it and then he invited he he made the apartments he designed them to have huge wrap around at either end of the building huge wrap around 12 room apartments or 8 room apartments but then in the center of each floor there would be really small apartments uh, 3 rooms which was really small for the time or 4 no kitchens so everybody would have to eat together down on the ground floor or very rudimentary kitchens um, so and then a wonderful roof where everyone could get together for poetry readings and things like that. So he he so he and and the and the halls were wide enough so that people would sort of be tempted to linger in them and talk to each other. So like a living room outside of your apartment. A living room outside of your apartment, which it, and and that's the way the Chelsea has worked for decades. Even after people forgot about the architect, forgot about why it was designed that way, it has worked that way to give people privacy. Because the walls are three feet thick and they're soundproof. But then when they fin- people finish their work and they come out, there's always somebody to talk to, somebody to bounce ideas off of. And that so was on purpose. Not only is it socialist, it sounds like social engineering. Yeah, it was social engineering. And that was, that was exactly what the point was. That, you know, that was the beginning of that idea, that if you change the environment, that you will change people's fi- uh, lives. Why do you think that is so repulsive to builders today. I mean, <laughs> well, the, the builders, it's a mystery. It is a mystery. I mean, do, you, do you know your neighbors and where you I live do. now? Do you have, when's the last time you borrowed a cup of sugar from somebody or yeah. an egg? I mean, that's just not the way New York is anymore. And yeah. I do know, I like to be friendly. I know my neighbors in my mm-hmm. apartment building. I just say hello to mostly, mm-hmm. but not on any social basis. No. I, I've never knocked on anybody's door, like I said, to borrow a cup of sugar. That's, mm-hmm. that's an old way of doing things. And I like my privacy. I kind of don't want them knowing anything about me. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I like to be friendly when I see people in the elevator and I help them with the groceries and I hold the door for the old ladies, of course. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice to see them, but that's it. That's where our relationship begins and ends. Yeah, but wouldn't you like to go up on the roof if Arthur C. Clarke were there? Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Demonstrating a laser or, you know, talking about aliens from space. Yeah, I do believe in community. And, I, you know, that's part of the way we live and we're all separated. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is insane because we live on top of each other, literally. Mm-hmm. My ceiling is someone else's floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't... We don't talk. We don't. We don't meet at the town square to discuss issues. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have democracy the way the Greeks did. Right. You know, of course, everybody thinks we're all in touch because of you know the internet and uh-huh. all that. But the truth is, we're not. And um, I don't know though. Would you like to live in an environment like that, Judy, where you saw your neighbors in the hall? And there were common areas. I live in. I live in an area like that. Me and my neighbors are all. We're all good friends. I mean, you live in a very small building, though. Yeah, but you know, 
I I always tried to get to know my neighbors. What a about bit. these new buildings in uh, Williamsburg and Bushwick? These luxury places where you know the, the yuppie amenities of a game room and, a, and, the, and the freelancers bar. And all I'll that tell you right now, nonsense. nobody uses those amenities. Nobody plays pool. We walk by them all the time. Nobody plays pool in the pool room. People use the the uh, gyms with their headphones on. They, I mean, I think that's a half-assed idea of community, like the idea of building community. Yeah, yeah, um, it is. And also, like now, when buildings are required to put in middle income and lower income, how you know units, mm-hmm. they have to go through the poor door, poor door, and you know they don't, so they don't mix with the rich, right. and like none of the poor rubs off, right? But the Chelsea was built with this like crazy thing, and and like you said, he was socialist, mm-hmm. like he had socialist ideas, but that was a dirty word as mm-hmm. it is now, right? So he had to, he he couldn't admit it. He actually said, "This is not a socialistic idea, you know." But I just want, you know, uh, this idea of community. And there were a lot of he was a lot. He was this. Uh, he was a uh, his father had been a disciple of this utopian writer Charles Fourier, who who inspired uh, this literary community called Brook Brook Farm in the past in America, and a lot of other. A lot of the people who ran the newspapers at the time were also had also been utopian thinkers in the past, so they just hopped on the bandwagon. You can read all the articles about the Chelsea when it was first built, and they're all saying, "Oh my God, build palaces for the people! You know, <laughs> thousands of palaces!" And they just thought it was the greatest thing because these this was the invention of the cooperative. He invented the he brought the cooperative to New York. Well, which is completely different now, but yeah. but <laughs> originally, I mean, but when you have co-op meetings and you get together with your neighbors, I mean, he was the one who brought that idea to the United States, and this is just a remnant of that. Yeah, well, the co-op board meetings in my apartment are more like, why are we paying the superintendent so much? Yes, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But see, in his co-ops, they hired a manager to take care of all of that, and then just the, so the co-op the co-op members just like had poetry readings on the roof <laughs> right. and, and ate dinner together and things like that. So. Is it different design? One of the things that struck me about your your reading at the Strand the other night, we should talk about what other appearances you have coming up so we can plug this book, um, which people can buy on Amazon or at any fine books, independent bookstore like the Strand. Um, unlike a lot of people, you seem optimistic about this new owner. Uh, well, I'm not. I'm not. I'm kind of optimistic. Okay. <laughs> Cautiously optimistic? Cautiously optimistic about the Chelsea. I just have this feeling, having looked at its history over 130 years, all kinds of th- bad things have happened to the Chelsea in the past, but it always And continues. bad owners. And bad yeah. owners. Uh, should we introduce that voice? I don't know. Oh, Bob we did already. We did. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I've been talking so much. But, uh, yeah, all, all kinds of bad things have happened, you know, economic problems and ownership problems and new management problems. And the Chelsea always continues to function the way it always has, and I think it's because of its location and its structure. So, um, you know, the new owner, Ed Sheets, he, he expects to have a kind of McDowell community. He's going to, you know, <laughs> these are things, these are things. I'm that a little are, cynical yeah, about that. These things are forced, you know, and he's forcing, he's having large apartments next to small apartments the way originally happened in, in a different configuration. But, you know, uh, if if the structure isn't completely violated, and and the way the Chelsea's built, it's really hard to violate the structure. I mean, three feet wide walls, yeah, which yeah. explains why it never burned down in any of the million fires. Right, and and when it was originally bought, bought, they wanted to narrow the hallways because that would then they would have more rentable space in the apartments, and they could charge more. But you can't because they're barrel vaulted brick 
ceilings. And so you cannot narrow the hallway. So there's always going to be this luxurious meeting space outside the rooms. You can't stop it. So he now says he's going to put refreshments out in the hall. So oh, people delightful. Will mix. So it will be artificial. But it was artificial to start with. Right. I, I love you saying that because I just hear these horror stories and, um, you know, it's going to change. It's going to turn it into a nightclub, you know, just all the weird things and b- bad things we always well, hear. There about will be. City. There is one thing that he wants to, he, at least when his uh, former partner or current partner, I'm not sure exactly what the situation is now, but uh, Joseph Treat was, uh, had bought the place. They did petition to put a bar on the roof and right. that's killer. And I don't know, now he has been talking about maybe an event space, but... Uh, you know, there's, there are zoning problems. They haven't been able to pass the zoning board for various height reasons and things like that. So it may not happen anyway for those reasons, but I think that would be, that would be really destructive for the way the, the building's set up. Because that's, that's where the residents uh, interact. That's, where, that's their living room. And they, a lot of people's apartments open out onto the roof. Wow. Well, yeah, but, you know, the, the gardens have been raised. You know, people's artists' ashes were actually buried in the planters there. And, you know, they've just been thrown out. Like those people were nothing, you know. And uh, by previous, you know, like the, the series of managers after the manager-owner, Stanley Bard, was kicked out, you know, people just threw stuff out. They threw out, like, portraits of... Harry Smith and Arthur Miller out onto the street. Just no value, no sense of what the value of this place was. So, you know, if a bar is put up there, that that violates the structure of the building. Because well, hopefully the, zoning will not. Yeah, hopefully. And there's uh, Corey Johnson, who just got elected to the city council, has been fighting it on the issue of the Chelsea's already overbuilt height-wise. It was just grandfathered in. But if you continue to add another story with a bar... Uh, that might violate the zoning laws. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, why, don't we, why don't we take a break and we're going to come back and talk about maybe some sex, drugs, and rock and roll okay. at the Chelsea Hotel. This is Arts and Seizures with Judy McGuire and Mike Edison and our guest, Cheryl Tippins.
That was Sid Vicious, the late Sid Vicious. Um, Unbelievable. Play the punk rock and out comes the pizza. <laughs> pizza's so, so delicious. delicious. Mm, Roberta's makes some good pizza. They're our favorite sponsor. <laughs> Hashtag pizza oh. slut. That's me. There's nothing I wouldn't do for a piece of pizza. Mm. So, so Sid Vicious is probably incredibly, considering there are so many amazing people that stayed there, one of the most notorious people who ever stayed at the Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And you, in your book, are not completely convinced yeah, that, let's he get to it. Nancy. that he killed Nancy. I'm not either. No, I don't think he did, actually. Personally, I, I mean, I couldn't... I, I was trying to show every point of view, but I don't think there's any possible way he killed her. And neither do most of the people at the Chelsea, for that matter. Right. Um, no, there were, there were others hanging around there who seemed much more likely... Yeah, I mean, he was on so many drugs, too. When they Yeah, you know, he was passed out for the, youngster, the for the youngsters listening <laughs> who, 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 who don't, don't recall, could I recap the story a little bit? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, well, I was going to have a sip of wine, but okay, no. I'll stop. Drink. <laughs> Drink. I'll start. The Sex Pistols <laughs> were a famous punk rock band. Yeah, the Sex Pistols were a famous <laughs> punk rock band who broke up in San Francisco at the end of their first U.S. tour. Sid Vicious, I forget if he went back to the U.K. first or came here, but anyway, he ends up at the Chelsea with Nancy Spungen who was his girlfriend, who was also pretty crazy, who you should read the book written by her mother, which is like, she's the worst mother in the world. Next to Sid Vicious's mother, who bought him the heroin that killed him. Mm -hmm. But, um, so they end up at the Chelsea. He does a run at Max's Kansas City. They they get a ton of money. They're both on drugs. Take it away, Cheryl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they have money. They didn't have money at first, so they were, you know, sort of holed up in the room, and she was trying to get him gigs, and she got one, at least, at Max's. And uh, so they did that, but they were really, you know, they were, they, uh, then they got the money and they started spending it on drugs. And, you know, um, uh, have you ever known anyone who was prescribed drugs from infancy? I've, I have had friends who've, you know, grown up that way and it really, it's not great, you know, (laughs) and poor Nancy, you know, she, she had um, been hooked basically from, from childhood. And so, you know, she, she started doing self-medicating as she got older and then supposedly it was she who who got uh, Sid Vicious onto uh, heroin, and so they were very drugged out. And and uh, you know they were at the time at the Chelsea. It was a really dark time. It was seventy eight, so it was a dark time in the city at large. And the place was just full of pushers and dealers and blah blah blah. And, and rockets red glare. Yes, and rockets red glare. Coincidentally. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so so they were just constantly on drugs. And, and that night, um, you know, uh, they did a lot. I don't even remember the name of what it was. I think it was dilaudid, but I could be wrong. That sounds right. William Burroughs' favorite drug. Oh, was that uh, his another, another Another uh, habituant. Of the, <laughs> Cut of the down at the prime of his life. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, another, another, another junkie who lived to like 80 million. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, he was passed out on the bed, and then you know, and, and then she was found, of course, the next morning, stabbed in the stomach, and and he was immediately arrested and uh, taken off. And the really the point of the story to me was, again, you know, the cops didn't really investigate it; they were really happy to have the story told the way it was told. One punk singer kills his girlfriend. That was what they wanted. And perp walk him on the cover of the New York Post. Yes, yes, and carry her body out in the body bag, all the photographs. You know, this was what they because apparently they were really, really worried about having riots in New York the way they had had in London, you know, they, and, and they, they, this was their way of shutting down 
this uh, the, the punk rock menace. Yes, I mean it's a joke now, but I mean, do you remember when the Sex Pistols first came out? It was on the evening news. Yeah, every night. Punk, I mean, a rock and roll band as a threat. I mean, that was probably the last time. Well, no, no I'll take rap. that back. Rap. I was gonna say hip hop, but you know, mm-hmm. last time a white a white <laughs> white rock and roll <laughs> yeah. band uh, was perceived as such a threat. I saw them on the six o'clock news, and mm-hmm. I immediately fell in love with mm-hmm. them. I knew I was gonna love them. And again, it's the same thing. This is a theme that runs through the Chelsea all the time. These are the people the city doesn't know what to do with, you know, this, the, the, that scare the, the larger mm-hmm. uh, city. So, so I, you know, they have their place. This is the shelter for those people. So it was perfect that they ended up there. But if you read uh, Nancy Spungen's mother's book, it's really interesting because she comes, she's called to town after her daughter dies, and she says, you know, you know, she was... She was my daughter. She was a girl, you know, and they and they never once thought about, you know, what the experience was like for her. Or maybe it would be good to find out who actually killed her. They just wanted yep. to turn it into a story. It was it was kind of, you know, yeah. They crafted it. So, to so what, their already so, pre-written narrative. You yeah. Know, like, what do we think yeah. really happened? Well, I don't know. Am I allowed? I mean, I don't know. You're allowed. Personally, I I think it was probably rocket. And that, he's dead, so I'm allowed to say that now. So. You can't lie about a dead person. First yes. rule in publishing, right, Tom? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was most aware of that all the way through this. <laughs> who can I libel and who can't? No, but that's personally, that's my opinion. You know. Yeah, um, I've, I've met him a bunch of times when I was <clears throat> also dead, I can say it, I guess. I'm um, working on a heroin study in New York City. He was one of our subjects for a while. Um, he was charming, but yeah, he would do what he needed to do, I think. Mm-hmm. I got that impression. And if not him, one of the, you know, many scoundrels that were hanging around them. Yeah, there was some mysterious guy. Michael. English, yeah, yeah, from England. And, well, yeah. there was cash. I mean, that was that was the big yeah, thing that money. the police never yeah. paid attention to, that there was cash in the room and it wasn't there in the morning. Right. Uh, but so it's a robbery? Obvious. Wow. <laughs> Why would we worry wait. about a robbery? Junkie when we can... robbery. <laughs> <laughs> and like this has never be- happened before at the Chelsea, you know? Yeah. And for, for this one time, they, they blame the, the passed out boyfriend. Because he was such a great villain. And I mean, his, name, his name was Sid Vicious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you want to heal for your story. You, you can't do better than yeah. that. Yeah. So. What you had so much. I, I you you were saying at the strand the other night that you had like each chapter was seven hundred pages. I mean, yeah. this is a hefty book. But what was this? What was like the most heartbreaking thing that you had to leave out? Well, um, what I was trying to do was I was trying to explain why it was important that certain people were there. So in the earlier chapters, you know, it took a while because nobody knew who they, these people were anymore. But like there was this guy, John Sloan, who was one of the Ashcan artists in the 1930s, and they helped start the Armory Show in 1913. And, and uh, there was this whole uh, little community of artists that didn't have anywhere to go. And they were in Chelsea, but they were at 29th Street in this little hotel um, this little boarding room and they were and Yates's the poet Yates's father lived there and he was like their mentor and he was bringing together this community it was like 75 pages of this wonderful story this hotel is called Petty Paw and when I walked into the Berg collection the rare book collection at the New York Public Library they said are you going to finally tell the story of Petty Paw and I did and it was a 
first thing out. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, things like that. I mean, there were whole well, worlds. This is that why I God found. gave us uh, ebooks and yeah. Amazon singles. Yeah, I know. Should have done it really this year because that. it's the 100th anniversary of the Armory Show. That's right, which, is, which has uh, been sort of rebuilt and was being put up with the New York Historical yes. Society. It's up right now. I haven't been there, but I love the Armory Show. To me, it's one of these great New York things that lives very large in my imagination. You know, bring Cubism to these people and everybody yes. freaks out because and then the art, sh- is, art was subversive once upon a time. Yes, and then the tragedy of it was that it just smashed flat the American artists again. They had just started to get some energy going, and then boom, they were they couldn't compete with the European with the Europeans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they had to wait until we had so much money. After you know, this war. show has been flying by. This is the fastest half hour on the internet. I cannot believe we've been talking about the Chelsea Hotel, and the conversation has not been dominated with like seventies rock stars. We had a fleeting uh, mention of Janis Joplin, but it's it's fantastic. There's so much more. I mean, this book is amazing. One thing we cannot not talk about is it's haunted. Because Mike doesn't believe in ghosts, <laughs> no, I do believe in ghosts. I, I like Cheryl, to, where do you stand? I on like the to spectrum? stay agnostic about these things because I don't really know. Okay, okay. I'm not closing that door, no. but I'm a, a little cynical. Yeah. Well, how much time do I have? Do I have time to tell you a ghost story? <laughs> yeah, that was a ghost story. Okay, well, um, I'm not uh, supposed to tell this story, but here I feel so comfortable. I'm here with my glass of wine. My editor said, <laughs> "One half glass of wine." You are such <laughs> a cheap date. My editor said, "You know, uh, please, please, God, don't tell this story." But the first time I went to the Chelsea, it was for about five days and I brought two of my best friends because I didn't want to go there by myself. I still didn't want to write the book but I was going to go stay there and, and check it out. And one of them does believe that she can see ghosts. So the three of us shared a room and in the morning she said oh my god they crowded in here they were they were victorian people from the victorian era people in depression clothes people everybody wanted to tell their story they were so desperate she said that the chelsea was the most haunted building she'd ever been in in new york aside from the new york public library and they all wanted to tell their stories but there was one ghost who wouldn't let the others talk he sort of elbowed his way to the front and he was really obnoxious and really it was from the 60s so he was always saying man and he said i i want to give this writer her who's going to write this book i want to give her some advice man it's 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 not okay man it's not about the art it's about the life okay so i've we have used that as my motto all the way through and his name was larry this was larry he said his name not his last name but uh yeah so he so he 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 wouldn't let anybody else talk night after night and i woke up at night to see if she was talking to ghosts and she was asleep and kind of snoring so i don't i don't know but she she would wake up every every morning and tell me what larry had told me he said told me to look for somebody like mckinley and I could never find a McKinley, but now there's a McKinley who's a partner with the new owner. So who knows? Oh. <laughs> and I did take her to the library, and I showed her pictures of, because um, this was pre-phone, I showed her pictures of um, of Larry Rivers, and she claimed that that was him. But, you know. Was he a big mouth, do you know, in real life? Uh, uh, Larry Rivers' story is pretty. <laughs> have you ever read his book? It, yes, it is the sleaze, wonderful. It, it, the wonderful sleaziest book, book. I but have ever so read. interesting, and so it gives you another view of the art another history of the great art. story about Greenwich Village and the abstract expressionists. Mm-hmm. But I mean, boy, there was nothing that guy wouldn't. <laughs> but fuck. there you it go. It was unbelievable. Absolutely, yes, and the paintings he did of you know of his mother of his mother in law nude Ooh. and his you know his, his kids. It was fun. You know, really fascinating. Guy. Cheryl, tell us uh, where you're going to be appearing, where we can come see and hear you, and how we can find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me on the internet at Cheryl with one R and two L's dot tippins dot com. No, is that? 
Yeah, Cheryl. <laughs> no, there's no dot between. It's CherylTippins.com. I just made not this. Not Dottie. Not Dottie. And uh, um, the next place I'm appearing is at the Mid-Manhattan Library in April, on April 10th. That's the only... Oh, you're going to appear at other places before then. I know that <laughs> this book is going to do great. I love this book. I was so excited when you got the deal. I've been like anxious to read it for waiting. like seven years or something. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, yeah. Well, thank you, Judy. I really appreciate the fact that you like it. And you this, is, it. this is this is no, no bullshit. I mean, Judy's been so more enthusiastic about this than like any any guest or show I, I can recall. Well, it's really. a story. It's a hidden story in the history. One hundred thirty years of hidden activity, subversive activity, activity in New York that people haven't really understood how it worked. So. I hope they will know now, and, and we can continue it in the future. And if Good there's luck one with thing, that. There's one, thing, there's one thing we love here at Arts and Seizure. It's subversive activity. <laughs> All right. Our time is up. Uh, for Judy McGuire, Cheryl Tippins, is Mike Edison, Joe King of the Engineers, Galarraga. We'll see you guys next week. Arts and Seizures. <laughs> great. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.